Next up on Talk Zone is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Are you concerned about your job? Concerned about losing it? Concerned about not having the tools needed to reinvent your career or to reposition yourself in the workplace? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, or even if you just want to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, then join the conversation right now on Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Now, here are your hosts, Charlie and Eva. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and I am Charlie. Well, and I'm, of course, Eva. There you go. That was good. Thank you. Because everybody was wondering. wondering. Um, okay, so the mission of our show is to make a difference in the world, our careers, anywhere we can. We need to step up. We need to do something. Yes, right? we do. Um, you know, uh, we're a couple of weeks away from... I hate to say it, an election here, and um, all hell seems to be breaking loose. But honestly, we need to focus on what we can control, and that is us, right? You say that all the time. What we can do to make a difference. Yes. Um, So come on, guys, hang in there. Um, We have a terrific guest. Talk about, you know, timing. I know. Um, if ever we needed some insight on stuff, <laughs> right? Um, it's today, and um, you know, go figure, right? We we get lucky with our guests. We we take a lot of pride in our content. We take a lot of pride in what we bring to the table, um, and uh, we're trying to help. Right. No, and I'm really excited to be speaking with our guest today because um, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. I've only met one other person that did what she did, and um, and I remember that that was a very interesting conversation I had with that person. So I'd like to get um, Alicia's insights as well. Um, okay, so yeah, I mean, our very special guest today is, I mean, I don't, I'll attempt to describe her, right? A U.S.-based journalist, author, and speaker. She's lived in eight eight countries. Um, She's written a number of books. Uh, an accomplished author. And yes. we haven't even gotten to where we need to go yet with, I know. with her. Um, so uh, maybe we'll let Alicia explain to us and our audience, but... You know, she's come very close to uh, some spiritual guidance and some divine intervention almost. <laughs> well, and she got a little bit of attitude from it, too, so that's going to be fun to talk about as well. <laughs> very, very um, insightful and important guest today. We would love to introduce Alicia Young. Alicia, are you with us? Hello. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Eva. Thank you for having me today. I've been looking forward to it. Us too. We're so excited to have you today, Alicia. Thank you for being here. And so where are you calling from at this moment? Uh, At the moment, I'm in Dallas. I speak at various places, uh, both about the Mother Teresa book, but about other things of what we call value-based programming. So I'm just here for a couple of days to meet with some schools and things. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that's interesting. And I can tell you that the people in Dallas need you. <laughs> so whatever you can do while you're there, please do it. Yeah, we need you everywhere though, really. <laughs> so Thank you. It's uh, very kind. 
Alicia, share with us first um, maybe your website, and then you can tell us some of what you have uh, accomplished. Thank you. Well, uh, my website is simply aliciayoung.net. That's aliciayoung.net. Very simple. It took me years to get that domain name, by the way. It was unfortunately owned by a porn company for the longest time, which was very yeah, interesting. Hopefully. That's <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, it no longer is. Uh, basically, I, uh, I, my background is social work. I was uh, a social worker in mental health and child protection. I did that for about seven years, but I really wanted to do journalism. So I went back to college. And for about 20 years now, I've been a journalist, mainly in television and radio. I've been a foreign correspondent. I've been a news anchor, a medical reporter. And now I'm kind of in this third phase of being an author and speaking. So I just feel really blessed to have traveled around, to have lived in eight countries. Let me add, I am not on the run. I just want to say that. <laughs> You're not about to see my face on America's Most Wanted holding up a sign, at least not this week. Um, so it's really just, you know, I feel very blessed to have been to the places we've been and just really a chance to give back. And my time yeah. in India was part of that. I'm, I'm trying to remember right when we met and I, I remember now and I remember saying, wait a minute, you have spent time in eight different countries. I mean, you must be so um, world renowned in terms of what's going on out there. You've seen so much, right? I mean, um, and so now you're kind of giving it all back, right? You're sharing back with us, which I think is really cool. Um, this book that we want to just mention right now is called The Mother Teresa Effect. And I, you know, mm -hmm. before we talk about that, I, I just want to say, so when was it? About a year or so ago, mm -hmm. we saw the movie about Mother Teresa. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And, yeah, you're right. Um, oh, I the letters. When they, they look at the letters and her faith and her crisis of faith and all that kind of thing. That was a popular movie. Mm -hmm. um, I was um, taken back by the level of faith and concern that she had. I mean, I don't want to sidetrack everyone with, um, you know, any form of religion here, but you know, this person is now a saint. <laughs> right. And so tell us a little bit about your, the Mother Teresa effect. I mean, I just think your connection with her is just incredible. Thank you. Look, it was such a treat and such an honor to meet her. Uh, the book, may I say, is, is quite light. It's not in any way a heavy religious text. Uh, it's basically my experience in going there uh, to India for about three months in 1996, which turned out to be her final Christmas. Um, she died in September 1997. And in that time, I split my time between two locations because Calcutta almost had a glut of volunteers because everyone wanted to be near Mother Teresa. So I decided to, to go somewhere else as well. So I spent half my time at her home for the dying called Kaligat, it was the first home she opened in 1952. And then later, I went to a leprosy hospital in the country. So I was able to vary it, and I really appreciate that. And just being there, the experience of, you know, people say, well, why did you choose, you know, the home for the dying? It sounds depressing. It was anything but depressing, Charlie and Eva. It was, you know, by the nature of being a volunteer, you're choosing to be somewhere. 
And it was like the United Nations. There were 60 volunteers every day from all around the world. The air was sort of flying with accents of every different version. And you were just hoping to give some comfort and dignity to a pavement dweller who was in their final days or hours. And that was a very powerful place to be, a very spiritual place to be, no matter whether, you know, no matter what your religion or if you are of no religion. People really felt those walls resonate with something special. So when you went and you volunteered, um, you did you have to follow all the rules that I know that there's like an order of nuns, I believe, that work with Mother Teresa or worked with Mother Teresa. I forget what the name okay. of it is, but you were in a different category than the nuns then, right? Or did you do exactly what they yeah. did as well? Well, they led by example. So uh, it's the missionaries of charity, and now you know they've been all around the world. And so what you do when you get there as a volunteer is you go and register and you get to choose the population you would like to work with. So, you know, the missionaries of charity work with babies. They have orphanages for newborns to 10-year-olds. They have homes for um, physically and uh, mentally disabled um, people uh, down to HIV and AIDS. So there's a real spectrum from which to choose. I chose the Home for Dying. And the, the nuns were, it was not hard and fast rules. It was basically, you know, watch what we do and just get the hang of it. And they were really doing the best they could. If I can give you an example, a typical day would be getting there by 7.30 in the morning. There'd be, at the Home for the Dying, 100 patients, 50 men, 50 women in separate wards. Uh, we'd serve them breakfast. Uh, we'd make them tea, which is an unusual way. It would be, if you can imagine, a giant eggplant. They would hollow out that eggplant and stuff it with tea leaves. And it would make this tea with the most awful aftertaste. And they always said, you'll get used to it. And I never got used to it either. But um, (laughs) it was just one of those things. And you were just really doing what they called ADLs, activities of daily living. You would feed them breakfast. You would bathe them. These these men and women often weighed 50 pounds or less. I mean, it was like picking up a child. And you would take them and you would go and bathe them and dress them and bring them back. And they'd spend most of the day on these little cot beds. You know, the wards had concrete floors. These cot beds were about a foot off the floor, about a foot between each bed, enough for someone to move between. It was really very modest, and yet it was very loving at the same time. She's, you know, um, all kidding aside, that is just, it, it just takes somewhat, my breath away because here we are just la 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 right mm-hmm. we're going through life complaining about things that we've been listening to alicia makes us feel like you know selfish people um, no 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 that's not it no no we I mean, we all you know we, we live our lives and we give out in in so many different ways but i was just it was just grateful for that experience you know it was, and that was 20 years ago and mm-hmm. so you know what what drove you there? Well, how, yeah. did you, how did you get there in the first place? Well, my family is Anglo-Indian, which means we're half British and half Indian. And my family um, mostly grew up in Calcutta. And then the family moved to Australia, where I grew up as one of the younger of nine. Um, good Catholics, big family. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when we were living in Calcutta, Mum and Dad always said, you know, they always took a li- an interest in Mother Teresa's life. They lived close to Mother House. And they just followed her life with interest when they continued on to Australia. So as children, as teenagers, we were encouraged to one day just spend a few months giving back. 
whether it was immediately after school or you know before or after college, whatever, however it worked out. And the right time for me was uh, after my first profession in social work. I'd gone back to journalism school, and then in 1996, when I graduated journalism, I thought this is a good time to go now because once you know the job applications start, I really need to be around for interviews and things. So it just worked out that I was there from December 96 through Christmas and then to, I think, late February 1997 and then she passed away uh, later that year. So I was very grateful that I was able to go at all and then to cross over with her was just magical. Um, yeah, I, you know, it just seems like um, that was your some a piece of your calling, right? I see you as mm-hmm. this um, energetic person <laughs> just running all over the world, just helping people and doing stuff, and you ended up where you would need it most, it seems, at that moment back then, you know, and it's just really incredible, um, and we'll talk more about your interaction over there and even with Mother Teresa um, in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you, I don't want to make light of this again and because you've been with world journalists. You've been in Moscow. You've worked with Walter mm-hmm. Cronkite. I mean, you've been all over the place, and yet you also were able to touch people's lives more mm-hmm. so than anyone probably, which I just think is incredible. And it's, it really is, uh, it really is interesting. I mean, I kind of wish I was in Dallas right now so I can hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Charlie, you're being, you're, you're so, so kind with your words. I'm not at all sure that I deserve those, but I think we all find different ways to give back. And you know, Mother Teresa used to say, find your own Calcutta. You don't have to go to the other side of the world when there are people in your neighborhood, your community, across the road who need your help. And she made this this thing very this saying very popular, which was, you know, the the greatest hunger in the West, she said, was not physical hunger, loneliness. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. It was just a hunger of a different sort, a spiritual hunger. We we can we can be so cut off these days from other people, even in an age of social media, that's not real connection versus face to face connection. And we always had a chance to do something right where we are, right where we're planted today. So I, w- I consider myself really lucky to have gone, but we can do it anywhere. Um, unbelievable. So we have to take a break, but um, before I go, I just we're going to come right back. I want to just share um, the website again, aliciayoung.net, and we'll say that again when we come back. There's multiple books out there. Um, I believe that you have something special in you to share with others, and I just think that we're all going to gain, and we're excited, and we're going to talk some more. We will be right back. Stay with us. CARE Certification in the Workplace is the award-winning Shared Leadership Training Seminar that will revolutionize your career and position you as the go-to person in your organization, regardless of your job description. CARE is the acronym for Courage to Take Action Relevant to Everyone. This means your new workplace mission is to deliver results for the good of the company, but not at the expense of others. Up until now, CARE certification was only available through company-sponsored seminars. 
But now you can become CARE certified in the workplace on your own time. Order Module 1 today and begin the transformation. There's unlimited opportunity in the workplace today, provided you have the right strategy. Becoming CARE certified is the right strategy. For more information and to order, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. And now, let's return to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. Um, We're excited to be talking to journalist, author, and speaker Alicia Young. She is the author of The Mother Teresa Effect, What I Learned Working for a Saint. She also, if you go to her website, which is aliciayoung.net, she has a number of books out there, too, and a great blog. And her 12 Stamps project is there as well. So there's a lot to Alicia. So there's a lot on the website. So please check that out. And um, a lot of interesting books out there, too. I mean, it's it's very diverse. It's very fun. And today we are focusing on the Mother Teresa effect, though. So, you know, I, I just find it so fascinating, Alicia, that you actually went to Calcutta. Now, you know, your family having been there, it wasn't as much of a culture shock for you as I'm sure it is for many people. But still, tell us a little bit about, like, daily life in Calcutta, because it is very, very different than what most people are used to, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've got a country here of 1.3 billion, Eva, as you know. So the first thing is it's so crowded. It just yeah. assaults the senses. Um, there is nowhere that you can look around where there's a, a restful place to rest your eyes on a bit of grass or a blank building. Every part of Calcutta is teeming with people and animals. Um, you can pick any stretch of pavement, any random 30, 50, 60 feet of sidewalk, you will find a home, a place of business, and a public urinal, just for starters. There are uh-huh. people living cheek by jowl like nowhere else I've ever I've ever witnessed. It's, it's quite something. You know, it's amazing. I know that um, I've had friends that have gone to India, and I think the, the thing that kind of freaked them out the most was they'd be stepping out of um, a major hotel to find a cow in the street and then, you know, walking <laughs> into, you know, a major corporation's office and it's a huge skyscraper but yet again there's like people living in this street there's animals in this street it's just a very 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 different way of life um you know when you when you got there was it were you still kind of overcome by everything i would imagine well the funny thing is that i hadn't traveled a lot at that time i just finished journalism school and i hadn't really ticked off a lot of countries yet um and i was expecting this enormous culture shock you know, with the overcrowding and, and life being so very different in every way from Australia. And I kept waiting for the culture shock to hit. I thought it's going to hit. It's going to hit and I'm going to not be able to leave my bed for a few days or something. The only way I think I was insulated from that was growing up, for, you know, at my mother and father's knee, hearing these stories about the pollution, about just the incredible rate of overcrowding, the um, the fact that everywhere you 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 walk in Calcutta, there I'm sorry to be to be graphic on radio, but it's just red globs of saliva everywhere because they chew this thing called the palm nut, the beetle nut, and it 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 stains your gums bright red. It makes your saliva bright red, and it is everywhere. There is an entire <laughs> layer of it on the floor in Calcutta. So that kind of took getting used to. And you're right, of course, in in um, Hindu culture. 
the cows are considered sacred and they just hold up traffic quite nicely. They're not fussed in any way. And, of course, you can't coax them along, jolly them along to get off the road. They have priority. And so it is a, it's a, it can feel quite topsy-turvy for sure. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so that must have been something. I know the person that I had met had actually become a missionary, and um, it was, I think she had been there for over a year, and, and, and it was really hard for her to come back and reacclimate into regular life. Now, three months isn't too bad, but did you find that you had a tough time when you got back home? It was definitely an adjustment, and I relate to, to what your friend is saying, and I respect she stayed much longer. I remember coming back from Calcutta and standing in line uh, for an ATM. Just needed to get some cash, as you do. And there was about six or seven of us waiting in line, and there was an elderly man at the front who I think perhaps hadn't used an ATM card before, and he was getting flustered. And someone was going, hey, come on, Granddad, get on with it. And Mm. I thought, wow, this just doesn't matter. There are people back there living on a dollar a day, um, you know, begging all day on the pavement, begging for a scrap of food for themselves or their children, and we're getting fussed about, you know, our precious time being wasted for a few minutes. Now, don't get me wrong, that didn't last for long. You know, I get frustrated as the next person. But it really does add a, a, a perspective. You know, I have gratitude for my bills now, Eva. When the bills yeah. come every month, I can bless them or curse them. The mortgage means we've got a warm bed and a roof over our head. The grocery bill means that we can eat until we're full every time we're hungry. Most people in the world don't get that experience of a full stomach. So it still washes over me 20 years later. Yeah, it really was. It just sounds so life-changing. There's no way that it couldn't have been absolutely life-changing. I think we're a little slow with that here, right? We don't really understand culture as, as much as we should, I don't think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, you can see it on TV, but it's not the same as living it. And especially like what you did where you were there day to day and you were helping people that were dying, um, you were like the last, one of the last people that they saw. And isn't, so, and, and if I've got this wrong, just correct me, but isn't Mother Teresa's, and maybe we got this from the movie, isn't her, her whole, um, approach and the reason she did what she did was she wanted people to know what it was to feel loved before they died so that they could accept love? Was that it? Very much. It was very much. It underscored everything that she did, whether she was working with children or the dying. It was about making these people feel loved. And, you know, it never pretended to be a hospital. And I respect it's a separate story. You know, she has a critics about how she spent her money. But for the home for the dying, she thought, she would collect people from the living by the railway stations in Calcutta and they would, they would just expire. If it wasn't bad enough, they had lived a life of abject poverty, never knowing a full stomach, never being treated with dignity. She didn't want them to live that way. And there was a, a wonderful quote, the nuns always quoted Mother Teresa, where she picked up a man off the street. He was living among the garbage, among all the detritus, and she, she brought him back to the home as one of her first patients, and he died within a day. His body was ravaged. He had wounds with insects coming out of them, all manner of uh, wounds, and, and just in, being in a terrible state of malnourishment. So he died, but before he died, he said to her, I have lived as an animal on the street, but I will die 
like an angel. I'm sorry. Don't yeah. hit me. I have lived as an animal on the street, but I will die like an angel. And that's something that we can give people is that comfort and dignity for them to pass in the presence of someone who acknowledges, hey, you are here, you counted, your life counted. And that touches me very much. Sorry. No, that's. I'm glad that you shared that because it's so, so powerful. And it's so powerful that it's so important for us to take care of everyone, of everyone. Uh, and I mean, that was her legacy and, you know, her work lives on and you were a part of that, which is just, it's amazing. It's amazing that you had that opportunity to do that and that you were a part of that and you took away the good things from that because, you know, we get, we will all die and it's so important that we help everyone get through that process. And, you know, in a place like Calcutta, which is just, you know, as you've said, so teeming with people. I mean, these poor people just get lost. And to be able to help them have at least a day where they were treated well, you know, and loved for even a day makes such a huge difference. I think sometimes we don't think that that's true, but I think it is very, very true. And you've just shared that. It takes a lot of courage to do what you do. Mm-hmm. Thank you sure. both. I just think that... um Death is this great unifier. As you said, it <laughs> happens to all of us. None of us are getting out of here alive. And even right. though our lives, when we go as volunteers, our lives are so dramatically different to these people, but we have that humanity in common. And, you know, she wasn't one for deep philosophy, Mother Teresa. She wasn't, she was, you know, an eloquent and educated woman, but she wasn't into, you know, the, the philosophical side. She was in uh, boots on the ground to help people to, you know, in, you know, through those difficult times in life. And, and I think, you know, that's her legacy, is, is being a voice for the voiceless and comforting those who are usually kind of spat upon and dismissed by society. So she's, uh, she has a wonderful legacy. No, she really does. And it sounds like, it sounds like now that her whole organization is huge. I mean, it just sounds like there's all these different, the different wards for the AIDS, for the children, for the babies, for the dying. I mean, it just seems like, there's a lot. I mean, how much how much actual space does she have? I mean, was she, has she been given that space? How did that? How does that work? Uh, they often do. Um, they're often gifted uh, facilities around the world, venues around mm. the world to open orphanages and HIV AIDS homes and um, homes for people with disabilities, for example. A lot of it is is donated to them, or you know, they have a peppercorn rent of one dollar a year or whatever it is. And so her reputation and their reputation is such that they are trusted uh, by communities around the world to really come in among dire poverty and difficult circumstances and harsh conditions to just do what they can in the way that they can. Um, and I've often said, you know, we're nuns first. We're not financial accountants. We came in here with our faith, not, you know, not a business plan. And they just do the very best they can. But they're now in 130 countries. Uh, and they wow. have various wings, whether it's helping different people of different age groups or kind of the more contemplative, prayerful side of things as well. So they really try to serve in many different ways. And when you were there, did you stay in one of their facilities or did you stay in just a regular hotel? Well, volunteers tend to, we have to find our own accommodation, which is understandable. Okay. The nuns, you know, we can't be living yeah. in the convent with the nuns. But um, I varied it. Instead of staying on the, the budget hotels of Sutter Street, as most volunteers do, I stayed in two convents. 
because uh, my mm. aunt was a nun. She actually worked with Mother Teresa for many years, though she belonged to a different order. And she would say, Mother Teresa could be very strident. If I can share, um, they had a meeting many decades ago. They would always crisscross for decades on various committees. And one day, Mother Teresa turned to my aunt, who I know is Auntie Grace rather than her religious name. She turned to Auntie Grace and said, I am sending you 40 more orphans next month. And my aunt said, Mother, we can't feed the ones we have. God will provide. You know, just get ready for them. <laughs> he didn't take a lot of nonsense, you know. It was like, get organized. This is happening. Um, so she had a, a lot of determination. When she first started, she didn't have, you know, a penny, two pennies to yeah. rub together. And so she would send her nuns to the market with no money. They were instructed to choose only enough food for that day. And then when they had their basket full, they had to put it on the floor, cross their hands in humility over their body and stare at the floor until someone came by and offered to pay for it. Now, that could take minutes or it could take hours or it could take all day, but they were not allowed to beg. And that's where that dignity comes in as well. So she made things happen, you know, from a couple of pennies. Then, you know, she made something worldwide. It's incredible. It's amazing. You know, um, and we have so much more to talk about, but we're going to go ahead and take our second break. Stay with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our guest today is Alicia Young. We'll be right back. Let Charlie Labosco show you how to revolutionize your presence in the workplace. Charlie is looking to improve the workplace, and by that he means your relevance in it. Charlie has over 40 years in the corporate workplace. He has seen the unbelievable, mind-boggling, off-the-charts changes in technology, but no real change in our day-to-day and sometimes toxic workplace behavior. Charlie's mission is to revolutionize the workplace by providing the training and the tools needed to lead any organization regardless of your job description. For more about Charlie and how to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, visit charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Let's get back to Charlie and Eva for more corporate talk on Talk Zone. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we are kind of riveted in we are. Alicia's uh, travels. And uh, to think that you have made a connection with Mother Teresa directly and that you were actually um, sharing your life with people that were ending theirs, um, you know, it's a little, it's a little uh, special, um, special, to say the least. Yeah. And I do have... So many questions, but, you know, based on what we talked about so far, I mean, how can we get past any of that stuff, right? But I just want to share the website first, aliciayoung.net. So it's www.aliciayoung.net. There's multiple books out there, right, Alicia? And we can get all of your stuff from your website. Yes, please. It's all there. That's my home and my headquarters. Thanks so much. <laughs> I mean, guys, I'm telling you, 500 years from now, Mother Teresa is going to be spoken about just as she is today. And Alicia was right there getting, from what I hear, and you're going to explain this now, you were kind of, you know, I don't know, trash talking with her or something, right? <laughs> no, I don't got trash talking, <laughs> but she told me off for not having children. I was so mortified. I was fortunate to get a few minutes with her 
And uh, we were just chatting and I gave my aunt, uh, you know, gave, sent along her good wishes and whatnot. And she spotted my wedding ring and she said, oh, you're married. It was such a simple statement and it automatically said, yes, mother, three and a half years. And my heart sunk. I knew exactly what was coming next. She said, hands on hips and no children. And I thought, <laughs> oh, no. Because when you meet her, you know you don't have a hope of trying to impress her. You just don't want to mess up. And she got right to the point. She said, you're on that pill, aren't you? And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I continued <laughs> to stare at my shoes. And she said, child, you take that pill to stop getting pregnant. And I saw my chance. And I said, mother, I don't always take it. Sometimes I just balance it between my knees. <gasps> and her face froze and I thought oh my gosh I've killed her I've killed Mother <laughs> Teresa this will not look good on a resume but she threw her head back and she laughed and I thought oh that's great like she did die but it was nine months later and it wasn't me I'd just like to clarify that I <laughs> can I tell you what my thinking is <laughs> that right was now. great what you said to her yeah listening to this and listening <laughs> to the first two segments my thinking is that Mother Teresa needed that little moment of levity and she just really admired and respected you for that that's yeah. what i think you know oh that's so that's so kind of you charlie I'd, I'd like to think i you know i didn't give her a stroke or anything as i thought no. i did initially I, I i just i kissed her hands I, I got a lecture actually on natural family planning and then i just kissed her hands and thanked her and fled i was not hanging around <laughs> for any more lectures that is, <laughs> that was i mean my you are just you know, I just the energy. Um, I just think it's it's unbelievable. Well, just, you know, and Mother Teresa has seen everything, right? I mean, it's not like she hasn't seen anything or been around. But and she, she's just but was great. Alicia did stop her in her tracks for a moment, and <laughs> then she got so it. So, five hundred years from now, when the people are just talking about and admiring Mother Teresa, this story might come out. It might, right? <laughs> in five hundred years, it might. Who knows? Um, but. Uh, I want we can come back to what you're speaking about now and uh which I think is great but I I have to ask cuz I've been um wanting to do this probably ever since we met because you've been all over the world right and you've done journalism so um and you were in Moscow mm-hmm. what how do you compare the news in Moscow say to uh, Australia and also maybe to the U.S. I mean, what are the are there differences? Do people communicate the same way? How did that work? It was very, very different. We always say we're so grateful for our Russian adventure, Charlie and Eva. It was like a parallel universe in many ways. It was kind of topsy-turvy, but, you know, that's the way and the reason that we travel is to get out of the comfort zone, and Russia really represented that. Um we worked with people who were not, as you say, typical Russians. We worked with the sons and daughters of ambassadors and diplomats and other high-ranking officials because that's the Russian way. You know, it's really who you know. Because, mm. you know, if we can go back to Soviet times for a second, in Soviet times there was no flash cars or designer clothes or status symbols. You cultivated your friendships and things very deliberately through how people were connected. But in terms of your your question on how the news was done, it was, I I just want to give them credit, the station I worked for, because it was a start-up 
and every day our Russian colleagues were getting out of their own comfort zone to report on things that perhaps they weren't they weren't able to engage, you know, in years prior. For example, we would do reports on the systematic brutality of the Russian army and the fact that these sergeants would rent out the, the young soldiers, the teenage soldiers beneath them as basically slave labour, you know, and they'd be in risky situations for no pay and, you know, there was a lot of corruption around that. So we were able to report on things at that point in time that hadn't, you know, really been able to be reported on before. So I was very grateful for that. But at the same time, when you go to a new country, you've got to realize change comes incrementally. We were not there to change Russia overnight. Russia doesn't need us to change them overnight. Uh, but it, it was just a, a wonderful parallel universe in many ways. Wow. Unbelievable. It right? is unbelievable. Yeah. And then you did a similar role here in the States and um, you actually met the the newsman of the century here, which was, we say, is Walter Cronkite. What was that like? I was appropriately terrified. I just want to say that from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you work with someone like him, you're just, you know, almost catatonic with fear that you don't muck up. And I don't mean that he was, you know, very much an authoritarian figure. He was very warm, but you obviously wanted to give him your best shot. And I was living in Houston. We were living in Houston at the time, my husband and I. And it was a funny way that it came about, the experience. Uh, we just moved to Houston. You know, the media anywhere um, can be a very closed shop, and I understand that. So I was doing cold calling around TV stations, radio stations, and I got to a production company. And I said, look, this is what I do. And he, the producer said, get over here right now. And I thought, mm. this is unusual. And I said, look, I'm happy to come by, but I'm only dressed in jeans. He said, I don't care how you're dressed. Get over here. And it turned out he was the executive producer of a co-pro, a co-production, a documentary on pediatric obesity with PBS. And he said, uh, look, my, my, one of my staff has just you know, walked out with a family emergency. And I said, well, I'm a producer and a reporter I can pick up. And he said, great, you're hired. And only at the end of it, he said, oh, and it's being anchored by Walter Cronkite. And I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> So we did lots of work in Houston, and then we went to New York to the CBS studios to do the, his, all his voice tracks, and he was so lovely. He said, call me Uncle Walter, and I just <laughs> laughed and said, Sarah, I can't. You are a demigod in my family. That would not work. You know, it would just not feel right, and so we had a laugh about that, but he was just such a lovely man, and oh my goodness, the pace he maintained would make a 20-year-old blush. He was in his 80s then, and it was just a, a wonderful experience I'll always be grateful for. Unbelievable. It's like a movie. Your it travels, is. <laughs> a lot. Is, it's like a movie. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, again, there's so much to talk about. I know we want to talk about, you know, what you're speaking about these days, but I have to ask, since, you know, we are in an election frenzy right now here in the States, have you ever covered elections in the past? Yes, a lot of different elections. Um, in fact, with the U.S. elections, I was outside the gates of the White House in 2008 when, of course, uh, President Obama was elected. And it was a very interesting time because there were thousands of people outside the gates of the White House telling the Bushes, go home, go home. And, and as a foreigner, it was very interesting to, you know, and a wonderful experience to just be able to file uh, live crosses around the world from that point. 
So I hope to be back in D.C. in a couple of weeks because, you know, when Barack Obama was elected, and, and I'm not making a political comment, whatever your political uh, situation, the world really took such an avid interest. They felt it was almost their election that they were invested in. And here, so much has happened. This election period, this election race has been unlike any other. And for that reason, uh, you know, I, I look forward to, to covering it again. You know, people around the world are going to be watching on November 8th. I, again, here we go. I just think it's unbelievable. Yeah, I agree with you in 2008, but where were you? You were right there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I don't, you know, I don't get it, Charlie. right? It's unbelievable. It's almost like, where's Waldo? Yeah. Oh, where's the least? Oh, yeah, there now, she is. She's there. Whenever, she's this picture. Right. Going <laughs> forward, right? Whenever we hear of a world event, I'm going to say. We're going to look for you. Yes. I wonder if Alicia is there. And you I'll are, wave uh, on camera, I promise. Yeah. Also write about, you know, this election. So, um, you know, we hope that you make an appearance, stay safe, and hopefully, uh, you know, have a really cool experience if uh, yeah. if you're there during this because uh, it is Thank like you. anything I've ever seen. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, and you know what's funny? The other thing I was thinking, you know, you were describing um, your first impressions and your gut reaction when meeting Walter Cronkite, <laughs> and it was so much different than what you described about meeting Mother Teresa, right? you know, and you can tell the common ground then was faith, right? And that was not the common ground here, you know, it was just like a worldly connection, which made it a little uh, intimidating. That's what I was thinking, right? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, gosh, I wouldn't, I I didn't allow myself to feel at ease with, with, with Mr. Conkart, I still think of him that way. Because, you know, this is someone I had such enormous respect for, and of course Mother Teresa too, but it was just that feeling of, I'm going to get to work with you, I really want to make sure that I deliver, I want to give you the best that I can. And, you know, I'm sure that everyone who worked with him felt the same way. It was a real gift, goodness. Uh, I bet. I mean, you know, um, we, even I have been doing this, we were just talking about this recently for, you know, almost five years now. Right. And we've met and interviewed many people, right? Uh, two, three hundred, maybe even more than that. And we know when we meet someone special. And, you know, meeting you is just incredible. I mean, thinking about, uh, you know, when you explain some of what you do, we put a picture in our head as you discuss it and describe it and just trying to picture you in Calcutta, and then, you know, trying to get through the day by making uh, light of a conversation with Mother Teresa is just it's unbelievable. It's amazing. <laughs> Touching people's lives, which is unbelievable. And then, you know, talking about, yeah, well, we talked about, you know, brutality in the uh, Moscow military. And, like, it's, right. like, meaningless after that at that point, right? I mean, it's, like, so unintimidating for you. Unbelievable. I mean, who knows what's next, right? Um, well, you know, it's, it's funny because um, yeah, as a journalist, and I feel very blessed to have my profession, I love it, I can't imagine doing anything else, we get, to, to, we, we get amazing access to people who are considered leaders in their field, you know, whether it's politicians or athletes or Grammy-winning musicians, 
But could I tell you about the most successful person I've ever met? Yes, you can, but we have to take our last break. So okay. save it for when we come back. Um, this way okay. you have more time to share that. So please, everyone, this is <laughs> this is just an incredible show. Uh, Corporate Talk with Charlie Eva and our very special guest, Alicia Young, will be right back. Charlie Labosco is an author, speaker, and trainer with over 40 years' experience in the corporate workplace. Contact Charlie today to interact, influence, and inspire others in your organization. Whether it's a one-hour keynote presentation or a five-day training seminar, Charlie is available to speak on many topics, including making a difference in the workplace, even as one person building shared leadership teams, and his signature award-winning seminar, Care Certification in the Workplace. Charlie speaking at your organization will make a difference on day one. For more information and to book Charlie, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Welcome back to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and we are continuing our conversation today with Alicia Young. Alicia is a journalist, an author, and a speaker, and her latest book is The Mother Teresa Effect, What I Learned Working for a Saint, and you can learn more about the book and about Alicia at her website at aliciayoung.net, and she has a number of other books as well that are Completely different from the Mother Teresa book. It's just amazing what you've done. But we, we want, just haven't gotten to them yet. We haven't right? gotten to them yet. Um, but we want to hear about the most successful mm-hmm. person you've ever met. Thank you. It's just you know we're often asked as journalists, who's the most famous person you've worked with, or who's the most you know successful person. And when I'm asked about it, I don't think about politicians or world class athletes or billionaires. The most successful person I've ever met was a six-year-old girl. She would appear every morning at the leprosy hospital. She would appear at first light there in the country. She would be holding the hand of her four-year-old brother and on her back strapped to her was a baby girl, little sister of maybe six to eight months, too young to be walking. Every day she somehow got them up, got them dressed and presented them for the first meal of the day. And as you can imagine, it was often the only meal for the day. That is success. Whenever I felt down, I was like, oh, you know, life's not going the way I want, or maybe I can do it, can't do this. I think of her. The nuns tried to befriend her. She would trust no one. But my goodness, we all we knew was that both parents had died. And mm-hmm. at six years old, first grade, she was able to organize those children to make sure that they were fed. And I just wish I could find her today. I think she's the most amazing child. That's an amazing, amazing story. Here she is, this tiny little baby, and taking mm. care of two babies herself and bringing them for breakfast. And trusting no one. And trusting no one. Sort of like she's yeah. the ninja. She's, you know, she was like she's a little doing ninja. this for, to oh make sure word. they eat. And maybe the universe will um, share that with her so that she knows we're talking about her. Yeah, because now she's much older. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow, that's amazing. And, um, and so 
that brings up another point because I kind of wanted to talk about some of the stuff you're working on now, but then, uh, you know, you brought up the leprosy hospital. What was that like? That was an amazing experience. I, I loved it. As I mentioned earlier, I only was half time at the home for the dying and the other half at the leprosy. I chose leprosy, Charlie and Eva, because it was every month as bit a social disease as it was a physical disease. Yeah. So these people were outcast, you know, in so many ways. It was actually illegal at the time uh, for um, leprosy sufferers were not allowed to uh, to drive a vehicle. Having leprosy was re- a reason to be fired. There was all these marital barriers to them being accepted into society. It was such an awful burden to carry. And at the hospital where I worked, uh, they were, you know, they were greeted again with dignity. Uh, they were treated with medication. They had operations. I spent a lot of time just following a paramedic. And I had to smile because my first day they gave me this white coat and I looked in the mirror and thought, oh my goodness, I look like one of those fake pharmaceutical doctors on pharmaceutical ads, <laughs> you know, thinking, hey, this might give your stomach you know, you know, problems or something. I mean, I, was, I felt so fake, but I would just help kind of keep the register going of the different medication and things like that. But one day they said to me, hey, do you have a weak stomach? I went, no, I'm okay. And oh one guy needed... Oh, no, no, it's not graphic, I promise. But he needed to have a below-the-knee amputation. He had an open wound below his leg, and it basically needed to come off because his body was using every available nutrient to try to fight this wound. And he was ready for the operation, and they said, okay, this guy came and gave an anesthesia, and he left. And I said, why is the doctor leaving? And they just smiled at me and started the procedure. For three and a half hours, two men just skillfully removed the lower half of his leg, stitched it up so it was all neat and clean and lovely and really gave him a chance to recover from this terrible um, wound that he had before. And this went on for three and a half hours. And at the end of it, I was already impressed, but I was about to be impressed even more because Mm. when those two men took off their gloves, I realized they only had stubs for fingers. They were leprosy sufferers themselves they had been trained up over a decade without one hour in medical school. They were performing the operations. And they had to because there was no money at all. Now, let me add that that hospital was still running today, but with professional staff. Um, but I just thought when they took off those gloves and they didn't have a full hand of fingers between them and they'd just done this three-and-a-half-hour operation. I thought, God, I have no right to complain about anything if these men can overcome such obstacles to perform surgery, I have nothing to complain about. And that has always stayed with me. That is just an amazing, an amazing story. And you just wonder how they were even able to do that. That's that's amazing. What an amazing three months. You lived more in those three months than most people live in a lifetime. Yeah. I, I loved it. I, I, again, just feel so, so lucky. Uh, to have done it. Um, I remember the Christmas that we were there, you know, all the volunteers uh, in Calcutta, actually, all the volunteers, we pulled all our money and we got this huge sheet cake for the hundred staff and and the nuns and the volunteers and we went around giving out on Christmas morning just some little gifts to each patient and we gave them uh, a slice of cake, a slab of cake and we gave them soft candy and tangelo, just a little fruit. And I remember... I'll just never forget what this one lady said to me. I gave her these things. It was such a modest offering. And she said to me, all for me? 
Mm. Are you sure mm. this is all for me? Like she didn't want to get me in trouble by, you know, giving yeah. out more than she was supposed to. And my heart thought, oh, my goodness, if she's taken aback by such a modest thing, when, you know, we can, we can eat this every day at home and it's no big deal. We can have cake or fruit whenever we want it. And to her, it was such a deal. And I thought, oh, my goodness, <laughs> Yeah. I just feel grateful every day, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so now I know that you're going around and you're speaking and you're doing programs with children. Are you using this experience where you're speaking or is there other things that you're using as well? Well, I speak about a couple of things. To schools um, and to private groups and church groups, I speak about Mother Teresa. Um, so I talk about these experiences, you know, in kind of more simpler terms for the children. Uh, another one of my books is called Two Eggs, Two Kids, about my experience as an egg donor to two groups of friends. And so uh, my husband and I don't have kids, we forgot, but I ended up being a biological mother to a girl and a boy. And so I talk separately about that to a fertility, infertility support groups and private groups just to kind of help people understand what's involved. So I speak about a range of different things. Take your pick. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, and, and cause I was looking at that book, um, the two eggs, two kids book, and mm-hmm. it's like you, you're in service in so many different mm-hmm. ways. So you're in service with your journalism to, you know, share the news of what's going around, around the world. Then you worked with Mother Teresa, but then also sharing this. I mean, that's a huge gift in it, in it. That was a huge, huge thing that you did that you gifted someone with your friends. It's amazing. Well, you know, I, I feel like it was, look, that's so kind of you, Eva. Thank you. I just feel like it was every month I was discarding an egg I didn't value, which our friends could value very much. And I consider it a joint gift from John and myself because if my husband wasn't 100% behind it, I wouldn't have done it because that's a big deal to yeah. ask any man, I think. Um, yeah. And the biological reality was I was having children, you know, with two other men because it was two couples that we donated to. So... It's just funny how life works out. We forgot to have our own kids, but in the end we were blessed to help two other families get started. So Even though Mother Teresa happen. did remind you. Yeah, I mean. yeah, she did. I know. I'll take that to my grave. I have been told off by a saint. That's right. No, I, I look at it as um, you were touched by an angel. Yeah. And now you're touching others. Which is, oh, you know, Charlie, thank you. I, just, gosh, I, mean, I can't do 1% of what she did, but I'm just so grateful for that experience. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for sharing your stories. It was just a really an amazing show today. We're so grateful that we got a chance to meet you and to talk. Yes. Thank you. Thank you to you both. It's been such fun, and I hope we cross paths again. That would be lovely. Oh, that would be wonderful. Too. Excellent. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. So long. Um, I'm, and I'm speechless. I know it's terrific. And for everyone that's listening, again, it is the Mother Teresa effect. What I learned working for a saint. You can find it at Amazon. It's also on her website at aliciayoung.net. And her other book, Two Eggs, Two Kids, is there as well. She's got a blog, and she has a couple other books about the Savvy Girl's Guide to Grace and the Savvy Bride's Guide part. I think there's a couple parts to that one too. So a lot of great information from Alicia. Another great show. Uh, another great show. Uh, Alicia is uh, a phenomenal person. So thanks for listening, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Have a great week. <laughs>